As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. So we welcome today Mike Kelly. Mike and I have had the opportunity to meet when he was the vice president of learning and development at a Fortune 500 company. Mike, you uh, have had experiences from Right Path Enterprises to Kelly Financial Planning to Michelin to Macy's to Rotary and the May Festival Board. I very much look forward to dialoguing with you today about leadership, about Rotary International, about you and your wife, Melinda's service of business educators in our community. We want to welcome you, Mike Kelly, to the Talent Magnet Institute. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you very much, Mike. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. And thank you also for the great work that you and Centennial are doing in our community and also with this uh, podcast. I think it's going to help a lot of people, not only business people, but other people in our community. Could you share with us, Mike, a little bit about your journey and kind of what has led, who, what has helped create Mike Kelly to who Mike Kelly is? That journey started in Shiraz, South Carolina, and it continues today. Yeah, I grew up in Shiraz, South Carolina, small town, uh, not too far from Myrtle Beach of about uh, 5,000 people. It's a very small town. But my mother and my father, I would say, were those people who got me started on the path that I'm on today. They were two people, are two people, my father's still living. My mom passed away in 2000, who were pulled out of school to pick cotton in the South. They never finished high school. They only went to around the seventh grade. Uh, my father never learned to read, uh, still can't. And when he was, when I was old enough to help him, he's too proud to learn. My mom, she was a person who really was a leader in our home. They got us started in church early, which was a blessing for me. And that put me on a good path from a faith standpoint. But my mom also challenged me to be a reader, a very strong reader. So today I read constantly. I think last year I read about 60 books. I'm at 30 already this year. Oh my. But it started back during that period of time. And through reading, I got exposed to a new world outside of the small community that I lived in. And uh, also with my mom, she encouraged me to be a person who was really good at math. So I remember her spending a lot of time with me learning my multiplication tables. And I remember going to the bank with her, my father, and I was very curious about the bank. So I got interested in business as a young kid through my reading, through the exposure that my parents gave me. And that led me to go to school, ultimately played uh, high school basketball, got a full scholarship to Morris Hill University, where I sit on the board now. I'm on a campaign steering committee. I'm on an executive committee. I just got off of a call before I came over here. We had an executive committee meeting. But I ended up getting a degree in business. And at Morris Hill University, a lot of people invested in me there as well. There's so much more to the story between me leaving and going to Morris Hill, leaving my community and going to Morris Hill. But that small school in North Carolina really invested in me in a huge way. I really got a great education from a business standpoint. But I also learned things that helped me when it comes to really being a community servant, a servant in the businesses that I have the opportunity to be involved with, but also as I serve my community, my family, and other people in my life. I worked in a number of different sectors when it comes to my career. I've worked in manufacturing, I've worked in retail, I've worked in my financial services, but specifically with Michelin. I got an opportunity to work for Michelin starting in 1990, 
And Michelin was a great company. They still are. I don't work for them today, but they're a great company. They gave me a chance to get experience in operations, human resources, marketing, sales, finance, um, international project management work. They even trained me to be an industrial engineer. And I did work as a Salesforce systems automation uh, team person over in Europe making sure that the North American requirements were included in the worldwide system. But also during my time with them, one of the roles I had involved getting involved in community service and representing them in the community. And that led to a number of things, getting involved in Habitat for Humanity on that board, uh, the Human Resources Management Society for Human Resources Management Board in that, uh, in that in Columbia where I was, and then some mentorship programs with high schools. And then ultimately I moved here as part of my uh, time with them to get some sales experience was recruited away by Macy's. But during my time here, I've been involved in a number of organizations. But I see community and business, they go together. One and because, the same. Absolutely, because when I'm not at the time, when I wasn't with Michelin, if I'm in the community, in many respects, I represented them. And the same with Macy's during my time with them as well. But I do see people who are leaders in business, we have a responsibility to the communities that we work and play and live in. From a, from a pr professional development perspective, what have you gained from your involvement in community roles and leadership positions within those? I gained a lot of experience, I would say. And I also had the opportunity to, in many respects, sharpen my skills because you're leading people who are not on a payroll. In many respects, time is more important than money. For example, leading the 52 Rotary Clubs in Southwest Ohio, I had the opportunity to do that. 2016 to 2017 during that uh, Rotary fiscal year, which starts on July 1st, 2016. And time is more important than money to most of the people that you end up working with. How do you influence them? How do you motivate them? How do you inspire them to give up time to do things that are good things, but they have other things going on in their lives? It takes really building deep relationships and getting clear on what inspires, motivates, and what are, is important to them, and then making sure that those things align with the organization. There is no paycheck to wave. So really, inspiration, encouragement, building relationships, and aligning when it comes to certain values and things that we would like to see happen in our communities are things that help you be a better leader, in my, in my, um, in my opinion. Because in an organization, even though you get that paycheck, you look at what's happening today, there are a lot of people out there who have quit and they're still on the payroll. Mm -hmm. They walk into work every day like ro robots, and they're not inspired. They're not committed. They're not engaged. They haven't really bought into what the organizations are doing. If you think about the amount of money that's being that's leaking out of organizations because of that lack of engagement, it'd be hard to quantify, but it'd be tremendous if we Absolutely. could. Absolutely, Mike. You shared the impact that your parents have had on you and your life, and where you are, and how you think, and how you're motivated, and what you are there, um, which is wonderful. And I think again for the for our listeners, it's so important for us to continue to bring that up. Right, that if you have children, your children are always watching. People in your community are always watching, if, you know, as, as parents to keep that in mind, the long-term impact that hopefully they do know, um, your father knows, and hopefully your mom knew when she passed how much of a profound impact she's had on your life. Are there others, are there other individuals that you look back and go, you know, here are those people, if I could send a thank you note today, that I would let them know about the impact they had on me? And can you share just a little bit about that experience, whether by name or by experience? There are a number of people, if I think back through my life, who impacted me in a significant way. And I, and I mentioned my mother and my father to start because, again, 
their stories, if you heard their stories, you'd be like, wow, you know, it's, it was just a situation where you think inequality and you think about the bias that they experienced back when they grew up. They just didn't have those opportunities. So being able to persevere. I had an aunt. I have an aunt. Actually, she's still living. I call her. She's my aunt Dot. And she was another person who was a tremendous supporter as a young kid and someone who encouraged me to continue to move forward, to think big, uh, not really understanding what that meant, but to think big. So she was one. And I would also mention, I'd mentioned Dr. Fred Bentley, who passed away about five, six years ago. He was a president at Mars Hill University when I was there. And he was a gentleman who took time to invest in me, basically. I would go to his office sometimes and we'd talk. And I remember him asking me what I wanted to do. And I said to him, I'd love to get in the banking. And I remember him looking at me and saying, okay, hold on a second. He took out his Rolodex. So there were Rolodexes mm-hmm. at the time. They weren't the iPhones mm-hmm. and all those things. And he found the name of the guy who was the president of First Union Bank, I think, at the time, or CEO. And he said, uh, I'm going to give him a call. So he called him. And he got me in to have a conversation with, with that bank. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into banking. I didn't take a job. I was actually offered a job by another bank. But the fact that he did that was something that impressed me. And not only did Dr. Bentley do that, Dr. Bentley, in some respects, encouraged me in the area of customer of community service. My mom had done that. I saw her and my father in our local community. But Dr. Bentley, he invited me to be on a National Blue Ribbon Commission studying the future of the school the first year after I was out of college. And I said to him, I, I don't have anything to offer. You've got people there who are much older than I am, much more they're accomplished, they have a lot to give the school and a lot of knowledge and wealth. I don't have any of that. And he said, that doesn't matter. That's not why I want you involved in this. I want you to do this. So I did it. And it was a tremendous experience. And I look back on it now. And as one of those experiences for me that was pivotal and helped me understand that we all have something to give, no matter where we're from, who we are, or what we have, we all have, to have something to give. We just have to be willing to, to step in and give it. And that also involves breaking conditioning sometimes. You think about categorizing people. Being around people that you might feel a little bit uncomfortable with is one of those ways when we, where we can break conditioning and grow. We can stretch. We can change. Most people want to help, and I think most people are good. But sometimes because of our own biases or maybe conditioning, we're unwilling to cross those lines, be it going being on the National Blue Ribbon Commission or going into Over the Rhine and walking around and talking to people who are different. We can have some of the greatest growth experiences when we cross those lines and we connect with and interact with people who are different. And another thing I'll say, so Dr. Bentley, certainly, and I can name other people, and there are a number of people in my faith walk that have been tremendous encouragers and supporters over the years. Mm. But I just, I just think about those people who, they, day in and day out, they're consistent. They do what they do. They don't get any notice, but they have huge impacts in our world. And there are a lot of those people out there. And uh, so I could, my list could be really long, but that's not what we're here for. Yeah, we had a in the in a previous podcast, we had the opportunity to interview Shaquilla Ahmed, who's the uh, president of the board of the um, Islamic Center for Greater Cincinnati. And we had the whole concept of knowing your neighbor, right? That if we would just spend more time knowing our neighbors and what that looks like at work and in community and getting to know one another, you'll find out that we're not all too dissimilar, right? 
there's so many similarities of people's hearts and thoughts and minds. And we just, if we could just break barriers around that conversation to know our neighbors and uh, to really lean in to get to know them for their their purpose, their God-given purpose, and um, and what that might look like. Um, so can you share with us a little bit about Rotary International, kind of what your journey is uh, with that organization? Because it's been vast and global for you and your involvement in Rotary. Building community and relationship is something that Rotary is all about. And I feel that that's something that we all should be about. Rotary, I learned about Rotary after I moved here in 1998. I joined Rotary actually in March of 1998. And when I moved here, I really didn't know anyone. I was at a point where we made a decision we were going to stay. Michelin brought us here for a short period of time, my wife and me and my son, and we were going to go somewhere else. Well, we liked it. So we thought, give us a little more time here. At that point, I realized I needed to find a CPA and an insurance provider and some other people. But I asked a lady at a Fifth Third Bank in Landon to give me a recommendation of a CPA. She said, sure, absolutely. Go down the street and see Bob, a guy named Bob Williams, who is another one of those people who's encouraged me over the years. I walk in, make an appointment, see Bob, and Bob talked to me for probably 40 minutes, nothing about accounting, but he just wanted to get to know who, me, who mm. I was, mm. more about me, shared a little bit about the community. And then we talked accounting for a few minutes. I get up to leave his office. He looks at me and he says, you'd make a great Rotarian. Well, he probably saw the look on my face, which was puzzled because I didn't know what Rotary was. I'd seen Rotary signs in various communities that I drove through the wheel. I thought it might have been a secret society. You know, I didn't even think as a black person I could be a member. Hmm. But Bob invited me to a meeting. I went to a meeting in March of 19, May of 1998, and I've been going ever since. I joined the Mason Deerfield Rotary Club. And one of the things I've learned about Rotary is that uh, it is an organization that brings people together. Rotary now has a new mission statement, which is together we see a world where people unite and take action to create lasting change across the globe, in our communities, and in ourselves. But the thing that appealed to me about Rotary was their service above self motto, but also the four-way test. The Rotary four-way test states that is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? And that four-way test resonated with my values. So I was, I was hooked. I was pulled in. And I also got an understanding of some of the initiatives that Rotary works hard to uh, address in our world, some of the challenges. Polio. They're known for polio eradication. Polio is now only active in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Nigeria. Nigeria is almost... Uh, polio-free. A lot of that has to do with the work of Rotary. The Bill Gates Foundation, they've donated hundreds of millions of dollars. From what I understand, it's almost $500 million to help eradicate polio. And they've worked with health organizations around the world to do this. But not only polio, other diseases, clean water is a focus for the organization, peace and conflict resolution, poverty alleviation, education, and a lot of work around youth programs. And I've had an opportunity to go to Nicaragua on a rotary trip where we were looking to build a feeding center for kids there in a community outside of Managua, uh, Pasarela, Las Flores, actually a couple, a couple of communities. And it was eye-opening to me. I thought I knew what poverty was, but I had, I had no idea. I had no idea. And Rotary, I would also add, is a global organization, 1.2 million members and over 35,000 communities in almost every country. I've had an opportunity to, my wife and I, attend a few Rotary International conventions. 
And Rotary International conventions are tremendous. We were in South Korea about a year ago. We've been to Montreal and we were in, actually we were in Atlanta a year ago. We were in South Korea two years ago. You're talking 45,000 people from almost every country there sharing ideas, synergies, and trying to find ways to make the world better. And you've gotten deeply involved in this organization to the point where you were running, is it the whole state of Ohio or just a very large territory? I had a very large territory. I had two roles over the last two years. 2016, 2017, I was the district governor for Southwest Ohio. And in Southwest Ohio, we have 3,000 members and 52 Rotary Clubs from the river here in Cincinnati all the way up to Sydney, Ohio, uh, over Union County near Columbus. And I had a chance to speak at every club visit with the groups there and lead all of our work in Southwest Ohio. Over the course of the last year, and that culminated in March, I was chair of the All Ohio Presidents Elect Training. We brought in all the presidents who would be taking their roles on July 1st of this year for training in Columbus. And that was about a one-year planning process. I had about 30 people on that committee, and that went extremely well in March. That's great. So that, that's Rotary is a great organization, a lot of work to do, but like many organizations today, the organization's challenged, especially in North America. We need to get younger. The organization's been around since uh, the early 1900s, 1905 or something like that. And we have a lot of long-term members, but we need to get younger. And that is one of the focus areas of the organization right now. But it is a wonderful organization. You should come visit us sometime. That's great, right? absolutely, absolutely. That would be enjoyable. I um, So one of the questions on uh, learning and development, what are some of the key trends that you believe our listeners should really be watching out for, doing, learning about? What are some of the key trends in learning and development today, Mike? I would say helping organizations develop and retain talent. It is a challenge for many organizations right now, especially in an economy that's just hitting it 2% on all, all seven rate or, yeah, 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 yeah. And developing leaders is something that's a challenge because there's a cost associated with that. And many organizations, for whatever reason, don't want to make that investment or or, un, or they are unable to make that investment. And the ones that are often end up investing money in something called training. And most of us know that training is something that is an event that doesn't lead to behavior change. Within 48 hours, if you were to Go to a training course today or hear a speaker within 48 hours. If you don't apply what you learn and have that reinforced, you tend to start losing it. Development is a process that happens over time and that leads to change, change in behavior. That's what a lot of companies are talking more about now, but is really, really challenging when it comes to allocating your budget to address that. So developing leaders is another area in this space when it comes to learning and development that we have a tremendous need um, really to do better. Because if you think about an organization, let's say Macy's, customer service, in order for customer service to be really, really good, leadership has to be strong. If leadership is not strong, service suffers. So investing in developing your leaders, finding good leaders, developing leaders is, is something that is important in the learning space today. Another thing I would say is technology, integrating technology more into what organizations are doing. It can't just purely be technology because, again, the reinforcement is really, really important. But technology can help reduce time and it can also help with that reinforcement piece. But coaching and sitting down, looking people in the eyes and getting leaders to follow up is an area where there are opportunities when it comes to learning and development. I feel also that uh, investing, in, investing in giving people experiences in community 
nonprofit organizations, allowing them the time away from their jobs to go and volunteer can be something that can help with developing anyone. Because as I said earlier, if you're leading in an organization where you don't have the payroll, you don't have the review, you have to work harder at being a strong leader or getting along with people that you normally wouldn't be forced to in an organization. And that can help you grow and it'll allow you to exercise muscles that you probably wouldn't exercise on a daily, daily basis. And for companies, they get that goodwill in the community, but they also, have, and this is especially true with young leaders, young leaders have the opportunity to develop. And a lot of young leaders today, millennials especially, and that next generation behind them, they are looking for organizations that are serious about investing in their communities, making a difference in their communities. Yeah, there's a, there's a direct correlation of organizations who we would consider a talent magnet that have strong community ties and community building and leadership development programs. Um, we also know we've experienced a lot of leaders who those life pivots I mentioned earlier happen when they get involved and start learning what's actually taking place in the world around them, right? Their eyes are open, their minds are open. And um, so many will say, well, the reason why I'm interested in this is because I've been sitting on this board over here and hearing about this taking place and need to know either A, how my company, the company I'm with is going to get more involved, B, a company that I go to next, how are they going to be involved, or C, I'm going to go get involved directly right? And go serve in some capacity. Um, from that standpoint, such a critical part of leadership development. Um, and the, the beauty is for those listening that if that's not a part of what you're doing on a regular basis, it's pretty much a quote unquote free initiative from a cost. It's about time. And hopefully you'll learn and start having a heart for what your employees are involved with and you'll give. Um, but it doesn't take three years to put together a plan to go get involved in your community, right? You can pick up the phone today and call either people around you that you know you are or the lo your local chamber of commerce or your local United Way or your local even elementary school or middle school. And um, back to engaging and retaining talent, we find so many companies who get involved in elementary, middle, or high school, their employees just um, either A, have been starved for it and love the fact, or B, they re recognize that this is our community. This is where our company is based. We should serve our community, whether it's through schools or social service organizations or other big initiatives taking place. So um, thank you for leading well in those space. I, Mike, you and I um, and our your wife, Melinda, my wife, Amber, we bumped into each other um, when the community of Cincinnati – took the May Festival and the Cincinnati Ballet to New York, right? And, um, and neither one of us, we knew each other, but neither one of us necessarily knew we were on that trip together. Um, and thank you for your involvement there to help the May Festival um, take that trip. We were serving on the um, Cincinnati Ballet side and taking to Manhattan the best of Cincinnati arts at that point. Um, share with us a little bit about the journey for your, I know you serve on the May Festival board. Um, what has that journey been like, and um, why do you participate in that work? That's a good question. I want to go back to the last question real quick, if mm -hmm. I could, though. Yeah. One other thing I'll add when it comes to learning and development, quantifying impact is something else that is really important for learning space to focus on going forward. How do you quantify your impact on business results? I won't spend a lot of time talking about that, but that's an area that is really, really important. So often human resources is seen as the soft area. 
not aligned with business, not aligned with operations, by working closely with those groups to determine what the initiatives are, what the priorities are, and to figure out a way to quantify impact, you can show that you add value Absolutely. and really be that strategic partner. But when it comes to May Festival, I learned about May Festival and the history of May Festival from a person named Ann Ellison, who I met at a symphony concert. I didn't know her. And she's a person who recruited me for the May Festival board. And we are, we are friends, great friends today. She's just a wonderful person. But my wife and I, we've been involved with the May Festival board. I'm in my second term on that board. I'm currently on the executive committee and I'm the treasurer for May Festival. This city has a deep history when it comes to the arts and that May Festival was one piece of that. And I've learned a lot about that over the years. I've learned about a lot of people who support that organization and they have for many, many years and the love they have for music, for the arts, for choral, choral music, for the city. And for me, it's been a true blessing. I mean, it's been a great opportunity to be involved in that. We're getting ready now for the May Festival weekends, the two mm. weekends, the last yeah. two weekends of May, and that'll be a wonderful time. The city will come alive, May Music Hall will come alive. But music is something that brings people together as well. It's something that when we moved here, my son was on the children's choir that's connected with that in some way. At that point in time, we didn't really know anything about May Festival, but it, for us, it was one of those things that tied us to the community, having him going to the concerts and, and being involved in some of his rehearsals. It gave us just this understanding that, wow, this community is an appreciation for young people, but mm -hmm. the arts are important. And when I get the opportunity to be involved in the board, I thought, wow, I can't turn this down. So I, I, I've been on the board and it's been a wonderful experience for me and also for my wife. We've met some wonderful people and we've gotten to know a lot about the city. And even when we were in New York, the reason we were there, that particular, uh, that particular May Festival weekend, that was historic in many respects. And that was, for me, again, one of those opportunities to learn and to plug in, not only about May Festival, but also about the city and the history of the arts in the city. Mike, with your experiences, and you've referenced that, you know, when you think about how far our nation still has yet to go, but how close we are to history that has been painful and hurtful for so many, um, and you look at the topics of um, interfaith and cultural divide and racial divide and um, class warfare and childhood poverty and um, could we, would you mind sharing a little bit about your personal experiences there and what you would love for the world to open their eyes up to and for leaders to under, for more uh, deeply understand? Yeah. I'm a guy who saw a sign as a young kid that said no blacks allowed. So I remember seeing a sign like that, but I don't, didn't know what it meant at the time. But as I look back now, I have a good understanding of what that was all about. And I'm another guy, I'm a guy who was on a Civil War roundtable, was involved with the Civil War roundtable, who I have a deep interest in understanding history and the impact that history on, has on what's happening today. A lot of what we're going through won't change next year, won't change five years from now. But if we were able, were able to come together as people and drop some of our conditioning, and all of us are conditioning, if you think about it, I was raised one way, you were raised in another community, family, school system, church. That's the way you see the world. You develop certain habits, and it's the same for me. So it's different. Unless we realize the things that are good about the conditioning that exists, and we do more of that, 
unless we realize the bad things about the conditioning that developed over those periods of time and, and address those things, mm -hmm. then we are who we are. Nothing changes. Conditioning is, has a lot to do with what we're seeing today. I grew up, as I mentioned, predominantly black community. My school was 50-50, blacks, whites, about 50-50. But when you left high school, you went to your communities and that's where you stayed until you came back to school. You really didn't associate with each other unless you were on a sports team. After school, you spent time together. And there was no, no, no one forcing this. It was just culturally the way it was. When I went away to Mars Hill University, I walked into an environment that was 99% white. And it's almost like the Lord said, this is what I want you to get. This is the experience I want you to get. And over a four year period of time, I had the opportunity to certainly get an understanding of my own, of my own conditioning and figure out how to shift that so that I was better able to really get what I needed to out of that experience, but along the way, help other people. I also saw other people shift their conditioning because we were together and we were there. And from that experience, for me, I realized that the more often that I'm able to cross those lines and engage people who are different from me, I'm a learner, the more I learn, the better off I am. And I feel that the better off those individuals will be as well. Divisiveness doesn't help anyone. And as I said earlier, this has been going on for a long time, over 300 years. It won't change <laughs> next week, next month, next year. But if each of us can realize the conditioning that exists in our own lives and make a promise to address that and get uncomfortable, it can make a world of difference. And it may be 100 years from now. Maybe the people behind us, the young people behind us, will have a different life because of decisions we make today. But all of this divis divisiveness it doesn't help us because we're interconnected, we're interrelated, whether we want to be or not. What can you share with an individual listening who um, is afraid to be uncomfortable, right? Or, or grew up, to your point, with the conditioning of engaging with people who were, you know, it's not that we all had, it, you referenced your high school, we would kind of go into, back to our own communities and we would show up at school the next day. And maybe, quote unquote, people didn't train them to do that, but they were conditioned to do that. So it's another, you know, but the dynamic of those listening that say, okay, what is an uncomfortable conversation? How do I have a healthy, uncomfortable conversation to get to know my neighbor, get to know people that are around me that are different than I am? Asking questions and listening. I found that when I'm interested in other people, when I can ask questions and listen without interrupting, interjecting my own thoughts and my own ideas and really just listen to what they have to say to me without judging, it changes, it changes the game. But that's a challenge too, because listening is very, very difficult. We have the ability to speak from what I understand at 300 to uh, 400 words a minute. I think it's 250 to 350 words a minute, but we have the ability to listen at 350 to 550. So listening takes work and sometimes that's really, really hard. But really being able to tune into people and listen. A lot of times, if you listen to someone, that in itself is something that can break down walls. And that's something I've seen in my own life. If I'm coming in with all the answers, be it people who are reporting to me, be it my neighbor, be it people in a nonprofit group that I'm involved with, be it my, my wife, my wife, you can't develop relationships that way. So I would say be willing to listen to people without judging and be curious, be interested in people and ask questions. And in my mind, it doesn't take much work to do that. I would also say, find someone who you might think you don't have anything in common with and work at building a relationship with that individual. You could even practice with someone who looks like you. Mm -hmm. 
because everyone who looks like me doesn't have the same values, interests, ideas, ways of viewing life. You can start there and then you can step out and connect with someone who's a different nationality, different race, different ethnicity, different gender. Yeah. So many times there's um, that if we just could get people more comfortable having the uncomfortable and uncomfortable in your situation, right? That wherever you are, there may be certain topics that you're afraid to go there, even to seek to understand because you don't want to offend anyone. And that's one of the things that we're very hopeful that our listeners and those that are with us along this experience will hear things that will encourage them to do something in leadership and relationships and work and community and life that they were uncomfortable doing, but knew it was the right thing at the end of the day um, to get to know people and to get to serve people and to learn individual personalities and relationships. The, um, another, uh, the, the team building exercise that we've seen utilized a lot is positioning people with those that are different either in thought or appearance or what have you and encourage them to, you can't come back to the bigger group until you find commonality, right? And we all have commonality, right? It just takes us to ask the right questions to find that and to be curious enough to understand how we're so similar Um, and respect the fact that we all have different experiences, And we all have different emotions and different things that happen to us in our lives that make us react in a way. And that's part of leadership, right? No matter where you are, it's part of leadership and understanding your people in a profound way. Mike, are there certain aspects? Are there things that um, you do through the businesses that you lead, through the coaching that you do, through the facilitation that you do that helps people lean into this conversation more? On my website, there's a quote by Ella Fitzgerald that I just love, and it is, it's not where you've been, it's where you're going that count. Getting clear on my purpose. What is my purpose? We're only here for a very short period of time. Am I clear on my purpose, and am I living in line with my purpose? And that's one of the things I help clients do. I am very, very passionate about helping leaders drastically improve their ability to lead themselves and other people drastically improve their ability to lead themselves and other people. There's another quote that I like, and it's by Leo Tolstoy. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks about changing himself. And I'd like to add herself. Mm -hmm. So what I do is help people get clarity around purpose. What is your purpose? From a strategic standpoint, beginning with the end in mind, say you're looking at your life today as if you're 100 years old. So what do you see in that picture? Getting clear on that. Let's start painting that picture today. Now, that will be uncomfortable initially, but once you start setting goals in those areas of life that are important, we look at the will of life, faith, family, fitness, finances, fun, firm, friends. As you start setting goals in those areas, it's amazing what that does. But even before that, I love when I speak to people to ask the question, how many of you work for an organization that has a mission statement? Normally, I'll ask that question, and most hands in the room will go up. Then I'll come back with the question, how many of you have a personal mission statement? And it is consistent. About 3% of the people will have a personal mission statement. So I encourage clients to develop a personal mission statement. And when you develop that personal mission statement, make sure your goals and those areas of that will of life are aligned with that mission statement. And when you do that, then you can develop action steps and you're able to walk this thing out on a daily basis. And you're engaging life, you're present, as opposed to just running through life, going from here to there, getting to 100 years old and thinking, oh, no, 
And I know from a faith standpoint, God controls it all, but we have the opportunity to be actively engaged in our lives and his plan for our lives. And he calls us, he calls us to be. And that's the work that I do. A lot of the, the challenges that we have aren't out there. They're, they're here. They start within. It's me. I've got to look at myself before I can help anyone else. There's another quote. He that would govern others must first be the master of himself. Mm. Philip Massinger, and he says the same thing. So again, it all starts with me, and my work is helping people start with themselves. And on the financial planning side, when we're talking money and that, the other business that I run, Kelly Financial Planning, we start with goals. Why do you even want to save? Why do you even need to save? Because in many respects, it's not about the money. It's about something else. And we can get clear on that something else. Then people are more inspired, more motivated to make those changes in behavior that allow them to be better with their money. Um, thank you so much, Mike, for being here today. Thank you for sharing your insights. And uh, we greatly appreciate your involvement in this podcast and, um, and hope our listeners really walk away with some profound moments and things that they've taken note of. And uh, we'll, we'll also provide a few of the quotes uh, if we can in the show notes as well for people to really be able to resonate on that. And some of the, also the organizations that you're involved with, uh, we'll make sure that we provide that as well. So thank you for being here, Mike, on the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. And uh, we look forward to our next conversation. Thank you again for having me and much, much success as you move forward this new wonderful endeavor. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Sound Press, produced by Chris Medine of New Fidelity Studios and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Medine and myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. We are recorded in Greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We're supported by our listeners from all around the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is part of the Talent Magnet Institute and Centennial. You can reach me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Mike Sipple Jr. Find us in your favorite podcast app, or you can visit us online at talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a colleague. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.